everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. And you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Justin Bizarro. Again, that's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. You can find our podcast at Justin the Food Entrepreneur's on Facebook and uh, Instagram. Thank you, everyone, who signed up for our summit recently, the Food and Beverage Entrepreneur Summit. June 3rd and 4th in Milledgeville, Georgia. I hope everything works out and we get through this coronavirus thing so we all can meet face-to-face. However, anyone who hasn't seen the announcement, we are still going to have the event regardless, even if we have to stream it to all of you in your homes through YouTube and Facebook. So with that being said, my amazing, lovely, and beautiful co-host, Deborah Micus is back in the studio. This is twice in a week, ladies and gentlemen. This is pretty impressive. It's big day. It's big day. Thanks I for know. having me. Usually Deborah ghosts me when I'm like, oh, can you come <laughs> be on the podcast? Yes. And then she does, she's like, oh, I got something else to do. Oh, you know. What are you going to do to the fans when, have, you're gonna, when you meet them and they're like, oh, I see how it is, Deborah. <laughs> no, I think they all understand being an entrepreneur, right? Like life is busy and sometimes, you know, we have to tag team. Sometimes Justin comes and does the podcast and I hold down the fort at work. So we tag team. Touche, touche. <laughs> I got it. Um, today, we have with us Jessica Young from New York City. Um, her company is Bubble. How are you doing today, Jessica? I'm good. You know, I'm just trying to not stay too cooped up, but safe out there. Um, you know, New York's a very crowded place. So in these times of the coronavirus, uh, you know, it, it's all about balance these days. And before we get started, because I think it's important, tell us where people can find your company online, uh, on social media, and through your website, because I want people to look at it before we really dive into the story. Yeah, our company's called Bubble, and we're on Instagram, and our domain are both Bubble Goods, uh, you know, at Bubble Goods or BubbleGoods.com. Awesome. So, Jessica. How did you become an entrepreneur and why did you decide the food space? Give us a little bit of your background, how you got to where you are right now. Sure. So I beca- I come from a relatively entrepreneurial family. I'm originally from Pennsylvania, uh, studied biochemistry in college. And about halfway through college, um, I was scheduled to kind of graduate early, but I wasn't totally happy. Um, at the time, I was telling my parents I was having a quarter life crisis and they're like, okay, this is the most bougie thing we've ever heard of. Get it together, Jessica. Um, and I, I don't, I think now looking back, I just knew I wasn't on my true path, but at the time, uh, I was just really honestly like a bit depressed and, and unhappy and kept coming into New York city to visit my friend who was attending NYU. And she's like, you know, Jess, you love to cook. Why don't you just go to cooking school or do something that you're passionate about personally? I'm like, that's a great idea. Uh, and really, there was no thought behind this. I enrolled in um, cooking school. I went to the French Culinary Institute, just dove right into the professional program and immediately caught like the food bug. I just knew that I wanted to be in the food scene. Um, I, you know, at the time, David Chang was having a moment. These like big chefs that I got exposed to um, while interning at the school and in the program, I was totally ignited. And so um, I ended up not returning to college, dropped out. You know, my family stopped talking to me a little bit there. (laughs) They were super unhappy. Uh, Right. (laughs) And uh, they're like, you know, cooking is uh, a 
a hobby, not a career. What are you doing? I'm like, I don't know if this is a career move for me at the time. I just know I'm supposed to be here right now. That was it. Um, That's awesome. And so at, you know, 20 years old, I really quickly figured out that I needed to pay New York City rent and (laughs) started immediately like hustling and having multiple jobs, basically. So uh, started my career working in fine dining restaurants at that point in in the food world, Um, private chefing on the side, got to cook for some cool celebrities along the way. Like Robert De Niro and Scarlett Johansson, which was interesting. They were all about health and wellness, um, you know, really wanting to be in shape. So I started experimenting a lot with, um, I would say, alt ingredients of the time. I would say almond flour was like a really obscure ingredient at that time. I think now it's a pretty standard pantry item for a lot of um, health conscious people across the U.S. But at the time, that was like a really new ingredient, like to just use almond flour in something. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I started my career um, cooking and fine dining, doing private chef uh, things either throughout the summer or on weekends or evenings that I was off just to make uh, ends meet and make rent and uh, make some extra cash. And then uh, had a vegan pop up along the way. Um, me and some of my chef buddy friends um, would pop up for about three nights a week. We would do super fine dining plant-based meals. I just really got into cooking with only plants. Again, I think now there are, (laughs) that's a more regular thing, but at the time, you know, seven or eight years ago, that was very experimental. Uh, We got some cool press on that as a movement and we would do about um, two seatings of 75 and we would seat people for $200 a pop and we would do super high-end plant-based cooking paired with wine or beer. Uh, And so that, you know, we would do that for three nights and make a good chunk of coin, (laughs) I would say, uh, which also kind of helped us all as chefs, like make extra money um, to kind of live, you know, at a reasonable level. Um, And then I got the opportunity from some of my chef friends. I got a call one day to come open a concept in New York, a paleo restaurant concept called Hugh Kitchen. And I was like, okay, what is paleo? I've never heard of this. And they're like, Jess, you're literally our only friend who knows what like coconut flour and almond flour is. You're doing all this weird <laughs> vegan right. vegan stuff. Can you come and like, please help us open this? We're really in a pinch. And so I was honestly feeling a little bit burnt out through the restaurant scene and doing all these odd jobs and things. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to continue this chef thing, I'm either going to really lean in and go to Europe and do like Europe three Michelin or I am going to do something else. But definitely within food, I just knew that that was my future, but didn't necessarily see a future behind the stove. And so I, um, I, uh, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought on my own life. Uh, <laughs> you can cut, you can hopefully cut this out. Um, I then, um, joined the early the early team of what is now Hugh Kitchen. Um, so worked on helping curate third party products. I was on to do pastry. Um, originally, even though I'm not a trained pastry chef, they were like, Jess, no one's a trained pastry chef, just get in here. <laughs> um, and so kind of helped them open, uh, which was super fun. And then from there, I really liked the whole startup environment. And I think at the same time, what was happening in New York were Um, I think some of the tech e-commerce concepts were starting to blow up and I had my eye on what was going on there. And I saw that as a really actually historical movement. The fact that people were starting companies like these meal kit companies at the time, but yeah, that was resonating with some 
of my own family in the middle of Pennsylvania. And so I wanted to be a part of that. I would say the same sort of light bulb, um, passion, ignition kind of thing that happened back when I decided to go to cooking school once I was in it. The same thing happened while I was at Hugh Kitchen and in that environment to stay within this like startup early stage company environment. Um, and it was really exciting to me. So I got the opportunity to head up operations at a meal kit company called Ritual, which is no longer around. Um, and they had a big warehouse out in Brooklyn. And so I think now if you go to start a direct-to-consumer you know, meal kit company or you know, anything food e-commerce, there's a hiring pool. Um, at the time, because I had a restaurant background and I could run a kitchen, um, that was enough <laughs> um, experience for me to go in and start running a direct-to-consumer meal kit company, which was great. I really lucked out just in terms of timing and the experience that I had in the food world prior to that within restaurants. So um, I started running operations at Ritual. Um, that company was around for about a year. I learned a lot about a great product, great branding, great company. But if you don't really have a growth plan in place, um, you know, your business isn't going to go anywhere, much less make an impact in the world. And so unfortunately, that wasn't around too long. But through that point in time, I would say I also started networking a lot more professionally. I, you know, started to recognize the power of a network. The fact that I got introduced into the opportunity at Hugh Kitchen was from the network I had built up at that point. You know, I was super young when I moved to New York and didn't know anybody. And so, you know, just I kept continuing to kind of meet people and network and build. But I really started to see that, okay, I should actually do maybe some more purposeful networking because I think that's what is going to move myself forward professionally, not just, you know, meeting random people, like having a bit more of thought behind who I was meeting was going to be more impactful. So um, I stayed in touch with someone at that company who was potentially going to be brought in as a co-founder, but didn't. And he actually um, recommended as I was leaving Ritual because we knew that that company wasn't going to be around much longer, unfortunately. Um, he's like, hey, I actually just met with this woman who wants to make a play in Frozen. Uh, I think it'd be great if you guys meet. She definitely needs a you. And I'm like, OK, what is a me? <laughs> and he said, you know, she really needs someone who can understand you know, D2C operations, which I had just been working on that year at Ritual. You know, shipping food to people in the mail was very new at the time. It was like some of these off kilter smaller milk companies or the big guys like Blue Apron and Plated. That was it. And so he goes, yeah, she needs a you, someone who understands D2C shipping, working with the carrier networks, but also food, right? Because she needs a lot of help with getting the product together and the manufacturing. And she comes from a really great marketing background. She's working on the brand. She totally gets it. And I think Frozen is a great play because this guy particularly had a meal kit company background. And the number one cancellation rate within uh, meal kits at that time were um, was because people uh, had an issue with the perishability uh, component. They were getting all this food to cook or chop up and follow the meal kit, but they didn't always use it or it would go bad. Some of the ingredients would go bad getting to people. And he goes, I think it's super smart. She wants to make a play for people's freezers. And so I'm like, yeah, I, I totally get that. I'm all about um, what was being described as that concept. So I ended up going to meet this woman, Rachel Drury, at her house and over her kitchen table with some prototypes of the product really aligned with everything she wanted to do with the company she was calling Daily Harvest. And 
Uh, two weeks later, I became the first employee of Daily Harvest and headed up product and operations for, you know, really the company you see today. Um, it was the two of us for the first eight months getting together, you know, the first warehouse and distribution centers, packaging, uh, you know, shipping frozen food to people is not easy. I don't think we really perfected it for <laughs> until like a couple years later. Um, it was always like a, cr- a crazy kind of whirlwind on the back end to get someone like a seamless, perfect experience. I think like any company, you try to try to make the customer's experience as seamless and perfect as possible while things may be crazy on the background. So, uh, yeah, I uh, led product operations for Daily Harvest for the first uh, few years um, and, uh, you know, worked on the supply chain. We had an international supply chain uh, working with farmers across the globe to make sure ingredients were super, um, you know, sourced well. And uh, we were able to build a um, direct-to-consumer shipping configuration to reach everyone within the continental U.S. within a two-day ground network, which is really robust for a young company um, in Frozen at the time. So really, really proud of that. Um, And while I was there, I think at that point, I started to really make a name for myself within uh, the food world in CPG, as well as direct, the direct-to-consumer landscape. And I started mentoring at some other you know, food concepts. I mentor at Chobani's Food Incubator, um, really aligning with all the, all the food and products that they get behind. And I started to see a shift within the food world. A lot of young brands were looking to go online. Uh, you know, they had one or two products that they were trying to sell. They were having a tough time getting into Whole Foods, especially since the Amazon acquisition um, they were trying to make a play online, even if they were hosted on Amazon, for example, it was really expensive to get their products on. And so I really started to see a white space for a marketplace for the health food scene. I saw a great comp for pets, like Chewy.com really nailed pet food. Right. Uh, within fashion, I saw a great comp for Farfetch nailing, aggregating all these brands under a platform in fashion, Credo Beauty doing something within beauty, but I didn't see anything in the health food scene. And so I was actually thinking about leaving Daily Harvest to launch my own line of products online, but found myself in the same position as all of these other brands, which was, you know, they would, try, and I wanted to go D to C, right? And, but I understood the metrics of going direct to consumer, right? You need to pay to acquire a customer. And then you need to make sure that that customer comes back and repurchases and keeps repurchasing at a higher volume at the cost to which you acquired them. Otherwise, you're out of business. Um, And if you can nail that, which we did at Daily Harvest, you're soaring, you're flying, you're building a great business if those metrics are in line. But we, I would say the difference at Daily Harvest, we were designing products to be subscription worthy. You know, we were going after, you know, individually packed items so that customers would come back and shop. And they were things that integrated into your day-to-day life. And that's how we thought about product. You know, smoothies, for example, soups, you know, things that were meant for you to eat on a regular cadence. But if you just have a pantry good item or a cool bar or beverage, that's not necessarily, unless a customer has a great brand affinity, if you're a new up and coming brand, no one has an affinity to your brand. No one knows who you are. But if this was all being done together under one you know, roof and there was some kind of vetting or experience that a customer knew what would be happening there, I saw a, a huge opportunity there. So I ran the numbers, talked to a lot of people, um, before doing this, <laughs> uh, you know, ran the numbers, um, and left, 
uh, daily harvest to launch bubble, which is what we're you know here to talk about today. So sorry, but I don't know if that was like too long winded. No, you you did great, and I want to touch. I want to touch on a few things. One, because I love what you're doing in the space, and you're giving people an avenue to go. Um, around the grocery stores is what I want to say. It's around your your hardship. You're they're not having to buy buy shelf space. You're providing them an avenue where everyone can be seen as long as they fit into the model of your online business. That's one. Number two mm-hmm. is is you know uh, Deborah and I are in the co packing space a lot, and what we're seeing is this massive trend towards cleaning up labels to making food healthier. The ketos, the paleos, these. Diets aren't really going anywhere. They're not fads because people are seeing results and people are passing them on, um, you know, such as even vegan diets. We're starting to see an upswing in that and the plant-based protein. So, you know, I love that you've had the foresight and the experience that sort of has put things together for you. So my third thing that I want to say based on you said what you said is you sort of just followed your heart and you had a blind faith to keep going in that direction and the skills and the experiences that you had along the way is what led you to your moment right now. It may not be mm-hmm. your long-term plan that's meant for you, but right now you're living the plan that you were supposed to because you didn't even know you were picking up these experiences that allowed you to execute something like bubblegoods.com. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think my comedy was I, I definitely have had a whole lot of faith along the way. Would I recommend my life path for somebody? No, because I think it's super obscure and <laughs> not straightforward. Um, and it was d- super difficult at some times. I would definitely like hit my head against the wall at periods of my life and be like, why am I doing this? Why couldn't I just go to college, get a job, get a steady paycheck? What the, you know, what's wrong with me? But I think that what's always led me is that I've wanted to make a true difference in the food world. That was always like a driving force for me. Um, having faith, but always like working super hard, everything I've done, I put a hundred and ten thousand percent into, um, whatever I'm working on. Uh, and that's always paid off because I think that my work has always, um, been able to speak for me. Yeah. So, I mean, when it comes to bubble.com or bubblegoods.com, I mean, how do you select when you're deciding which items you're going to put under your label on your platform? How do you pick which ones? I mean, is it plant-based? Is it, I mean, what are the criteria? Yeah. So we have what we call our bubble stamp of approval and that's our true north, our holy grail. Um, We, you know, do not pass go um, until a product passes that bar. And, um, you know, when designing and thinking about the future of food platform that we were going to build, um, and that's really where our name bubble came from, actually, it's, it really stands for a word, you know, we kind of, when coming up with the company, whiteboarded a ton of different options, but the way we got to that word, when we were kind of whiteboarding the name of what we're going to call ourselves was, okay, what are we standing for? What are we creating? And the words we kind of kept up with were, you know, we were creating something in the food world that was somewhat protected, we wanted something to be truly like clear and transparent for the customer. You know, we were creating this world that was all about transparency and what's in your food and what you see is what you get, not something that's, you know, health washed. It looks healthy. It says it's low carb or gluten free, but it's not actually. Right. Um, and so that's how we came up with the word bubble. It was this, you know, physical space, uh, something that was protected, yet clear and transparent. That's kind of what led us to that name. But 
And then from that point, it was okay. Well, similar, I would say to Credo Beauty, I think they've done an, an amazing job within the beauty space. You know, we came up with our standards of approval. We have these strictest standards of approval in the entire food space, stricter than a Thrive Market or, or Erewhon or Lucky Vitamin. It's something we're really proud of. Um, and so we have really tight guardrails around food that we allow to sell on the platform and the brands, you know, that are invited to sell. So um, really step one is, you know, we look at the ingredients um, that come in. If there is anything that doesn't really check out, for example, we are in the process of bringing on a CBD vertical. So it's not something that's for sale just yet. But what we noticed when onboarding all these CBD brands is, okay, we're getting a ton of cute looking brands. They're designed really well, but it was the same kind of thing we were seeing in food. You know, it looks really cute, but when we actually peeled and looked into those brands, what was coming out was that the CBD in these products wasn't always totally above bar. Right. Um, you know, there were CBD coming from really wacky sources. And so for that specific vertical, we actually tacked on a new parameter, for example, um, where we look into the supply of the CBD itself in these products. And, you know, from that point, I think we were only then allowed to accept like 30% of, of those products. Um, so they're kind of in our back end. We're working on that vertical, but it kind of just gives you a layer of, okay, if there's something additional within the ingredients that we need to look into, we do, because we're trying to build this trust for customers and again, shape the food world into the world we want to see. Um, and that's what Bubble's all about. So, you know, we look into ingredients, uh, supply chain, if and when necessary, um, and then we taste everything. So taste is a huge component of products that get on our platform. You know, things may be healthy. They may be branded well. You know, all the things that if they don't taste good, they actually don't end up on bubble either, which is never a fun conversation to have with a brand. Right. So we really try to be delicate with that. But again, we're trying to really build a brand not only for ourselves at bubble, but for everyone else's brand. And so if the customer has a bad experience of something that doesn't taste good that will reflect badly on everyone else's product on the platform that's aligning with us. And so we really try to keep that um, strict. We have a taste test at our office every Friday with, you know, our employees, colleagues, investors, friends that come by. Um, so we always have like, I would say about 10 to 20 people every Friday kind of going through products. It's like a little mini expo West going on, which is fun. Um, and then from that point, a brand is either accepted or denied. We give we give really honest feedback with, you know, what we liked or we didn't like. And then uh, a brand sets up an onboarding call and can have inventory up and selling within that week because we're a true marketplace. We don't hold inventory. Um, everything drop ships currently on Bubble straight from the brands to the customers. And so it's a very fast onboarding process to get the inventory up. So when you're working with these different clients, one, um, are they, do you give them exclusivity into like their category or you'll allow competing brands to be together provided they, they meet the criteria? How does that work? Yeah, they do. I would say because of the nature of our system, we don't get too many competitors, right? Because I would say if we didn't have the bubble stamp of approval and our code of standards, um, that would be a different landscape in terms of competition. But we really do try to curate. I would say the one category we saw like so many products in that I was like, okay, there's not even enough differentiation here. We have to be super picky was puffed water lily seeds. I think, I don't know if everyone read, read the same report or something happened with the supply chain, but everyone and their brother was launching a puffed water lily seed company this past year. You know, they're definitely on trend. They, are grain-free because it's a seed that's puffed, you know, so they fit into paleo and keto and things like that. 
Um, but there were so many brands and they didn't even look that different. So we didn't want to actually confuse our customer. That's really where we come at it is not from the brand's point of view when we're merchandising, but how does this appear to the customer? Is the customer going to be confused with the choice of 90 different puffed water lily seed products and flavors from these brands? And so we really try to find like if it's a vegan cheddar flavor, who of those brands has the best flavor? Let's do that. We don't need 10 vegan cheddar, you know, puffed water lily seed flavors. Um, So we really try to do um, a lot in terms of the curation so that we can merchandise accordingly for customers. Okay. So you just hit upon a a product I've never even heard of. And so it's really intriguing to me that there's so many of them that you guys were having trouble (laughs) differentiating one from the other, but well, so one for the audience, can you kind of tell them what this product is and like, is it in lieu of a rice or is it in, instead of flour or what is it exactly? Yeah, it's a, it's a puffed water lily seed. So it's really in the title. Um, it's a water lily seed that's been puffed. I would say that the texture is very similar to kind of like a little Cheetos ball, like one of the puffed kind of things. Um, right. And then typically they're rolled or coated in some kind of flavor. Um, so we have like one of my favorites um, from Atlas Provisions is a truffle salt one that I love. And then we have another brand that does paleo sweets on the platform called sweet appreciate um they do paleo caramels and really amazing sweets so are these like Uh, snacky type things that you would eat like instead of a popcorn or a chip yes so that's yeah like a popcorn or or cheeto kind of thing kind of a thing okay i'm trying to conceptualize Mm -hmm. what it is (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they sound delicious and so what are the merits of this particular is i mean are they do they have protein in them are they low in fat are they i mean what's the merit i mean obviously it sounds like it's a more natural version of a snack food but is it you know do they fry them do they how how exactly I think they're like air pop, like pressure or heat. I think people use different techniques. Right. Um, you know, for example, uh, Bjorn Corn, which is a popcorn company on Bubble, uses solar power, uh, you know, heat to then pop their, their corn, which is great. They have amazing like vegan flavors. Um, but the merits of pop, pop water lily seeds, um, you know, they're grain free. Uh-huh. So anyone who wants that kind of popcorn effect can snack on these if that's the diet, you know, you choose to follow. Um, you know, they're, they're a seed, so omegas are there, protein is there. Um, so I'd say those are the, the main selling points. But I think the major driver is the fact that it's a grain-free product. Great. Um, and that's why the, the trend has really caught. And so, Jessica, I mean, you're moving this business forward. You're having all these people come together. I think there's probably a ton of people that are looking for a resource like yours. So, I mean, I don't want to overwhelm you guys by people coming to you, but how does the process work? Do they usually reach out to you guys or you reach out to them? I mean, how do they start a process to become part of your business? Yeah, I would say when we get into a vertical, um, we do a lot of reach out. So when we launched, you know, when we are now seeking CBD products on the back end, um, I'll tell you a little bit of news in a minute about the upcoming vertical, which really changes the landscape of what Bubbles' purpose is in the world. Um, you know, we reach out to those those brands Um and they hear from us. And then once the vertical goes live, we see a ton of people then reaching out to us, which 
you know, may not be bubble approved. And I think that's the number one message we're trying to get out there is what our stamp of approval and site means. Um, because we see so many products, you know, everyone's looking for sales. So if a sales rep then sees, you know, competing products out, they're like, oh, great, this is a new sales channel. And they just send us products. But it's not always helpful because we don't accept everything. We have really strict standards. Um, and that's not something everyone, that's not common knowledge just yet. So, um, you know, I think number one is to really read up on the retailer you're trying to get into. People don't always do the research on bubble and what we are. Um, and so we just end up with a bunch of product um, that we can't use. Uh, we donate everything to the New York City Food Bank and and their affiliates, um, you know, weekly, really. We get a lot of products sent to us um, and most of it, you know, we can't really use. So that's my one hope is that people kind of start to understand what we're all about. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, we have instructions on our site. We have a whole kind of section on our footer around vendor education. We're trying to do a lot more messaging around brands that are looking to go direct to consumer, how they can take advantage of our platform. Um, Cause we have a lot of kind of cool things going on, especially this upcoming year. And uh, there are steps to how to get on and selling with our site. It really starts with the samples. We try to make it as easy and fast as, as possible, not only for ourselves as a growing platform, but for the brands to get up and selling. We really want to be everyone's ally and like the sales channel for, um, you know, the future of food and, and wellness brands. You know, that's why it's, it's hard for us to say you know, healthy food brands to us, this is just food. This is the way food should be. So we want to be that main channel for, for everyone. So, um, yeah, it really starts with sending us samples and we put our address of where to send the samples right on our, our, our page. And it's in the footer of, you know, how to sell on bubble. Number one, send the samples Two, you know, we'll be in touch with you. Uh, and we kind of start the ball rolling. And like I said, you can be up and selling within a week. We make it super fast. And it's a, once you're set, it's a 15 minute onboarding call, um, our platform and the app syncs in with ShipStation and Shopify. About 65 brands, 65% of brands we work with um, use Shopify. So we had that developed last year and we now sync in with, um, with Storefront. So it's, it's super fast. So if someone comes online and they go and they shop through and they pick however many items, they're literally coming directly from each of those particular companies. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, totally. so it's not like you guys have a pick and pack where you're having to deal with all of that. So you just have a system with each of them that you help them incorporate for them. Yeah, our shipping labels are automated. So we deal with shipping. It's, it's different than Amazon's fulfilled by merchant program where you still as a brand need to buy the shipping. Um, so we've automated all of that. So after uh, bubble takes a commission on the sale price, you see that full percentage, we take a 35% cut. Um, and so you as a brand see 65% in your bank account from that listed sale price. So if you're thinking about your product versus, you know, going through a distributor and then a retailer, you're typically seeing at the end of the day from your product with those two middlemen in place of the sale, um, you know, 40, 50, 40% in your bank account. So with when brands see that 65 pass through, and again, that's what we're all about is just getting things direct to consumer, cutting out the middleman, even though we are in some sense a middleman, right. um, you know, we're like a low key middleman. Um, it's a super direct system. And then uh, we will be offering a fulfilled by bubble program later this year, um, which is one of the things that we're working on. And that'll be offered to top selling brands, um, top movers or, you know, brands that can't um, support their own D2C fulfillment. Um, and so that'll be opening up later this year. 
So I love like how strict you guys are about, you know, really making Mm -hmm. sure that these different brands fit under your qualifiers. I think that's great. And I think that also lends legitimacy to each one of your um, clients, right. Or that come under your umbrella. So I think that's super cool. Do you guys also have like rules for them or guidelines for them when they're doing their own social media to kind of maintain the brand and, um, how they propel themselves or how they present themselves. Are there outwardly rules as well as like what's literally inside their bag? Um, yeah, no, I, I don't think that we do that currently. We love that brands are kind of their own unique, uh, you know, have their own look and they're really their own shining star. Um, for example, one of our top selling brands um for example, has like a very low social media presence, um, sells amazingly well on the platform, has a super delicious and clean label product, but does not, is not super big on social media. And their packaging literally is just a typical brown gusseted bag with a window and a label stuck on the front. So, you know, I think a lot of people assume that we're really picky with that kind of stuff, but, you know, we try to do the job of making things cool. We want to provide the platform, but everyone's so different. I think, Moving forward, if brands ask us for advice, um, you know, around best practices, we're happy to do that. We have that whole vendor education part of our site. It's its own brand facing blog where we publish um, different tips of how to sell on Bubble. We're working on getting a lot more content on there because there are specific things that brands ask us for. But I would say it's more around like the logistical operations. Like, how do I find a distribution center? Um, I'm growing. How do I get better branding? We published a brand resource guide um, in January of this year that it looks like a composition book and it's really great. Um, I think it kind of went a bit viral. A ton of people shared it. It was all over. It was featured in a bunch of different, um, you know, CPG newsletters, um, which is also on that vendor education piece of our site. Um, And that guide, our 2020 resource guide lists our favorite brand agencies, food lawyers, distribution centers to, to start shipping D2C if you you do start hitting volume on bubble and you can't do it yourself and you want to move into a D2C warehouse, it's much different than, you know, wholesale fulfillment warehouses um, to have that set up. So we, we, we compiled that. But in terms of, of that, I would say no, not at this not at this time. So that being said, um, how so do you send people a guideline? So I guess help me um, learn a little bit about this because I think it's important for the audience is how do you parameter things? Um, you talked a little bit about it that you have strict guidelines, but give me an example of one, say for paleo, what, what are those guidelines within that, as you would say, vertical? What does the paleo vertical look like and, and what are the guidelines within it? Um, yeah, I mean, once, once a product goes through the typical bubble approval process and they get the product live and their accounts up, we then work with brands to see if they want to participate in our influencer program, um, which is free unless you want additional placement for some reason, um, outside of the normal cadence in which we just, you know, organically, um, incorporate your product, for example, you go live, we put your product in our influencer program, but you launch another SKU the next month and you want to be in that, some brands want additional exposure. So we do work with them to try to incorporate that. 
Um, we also have a bodega at our New York city headquarters that we're going to start inviting press and influencers in to see it's already happening, but we're actually making this more of like a formal invitation because it's been going so well in terms of exposure. So, um, you know, we do work with brands on that front and as well as merchandising. So if your product is paleo or you want to be in front of paleo influencers that we work with and things like that, again, our goal is to be the hub for all things like health food. And so that's really what we focus on is that like customer kind of marketing engine so that you see true sell through for your product. Um, and we work with each individual brand as um, they come on board and once they're onboarded with us. Um, so that they can engage. We also like things to go both ways. So we love when brands engage with us equally as we engage with them. So we've done a number of takeovers on their channels, like talk about bubble. We love when they feature and talk about our code of standards and why their product is listed on bubble um, on their own, as much as like we feature those brands and we see like a ton of success with that. So when you invite someone to, you know, be with your influencers or whatnot, is that kind of the equivalent of being on an end cap at a grocery store? Or is that like your way of showcasing them where they can say, hey, we really need some special attention or we've got a special product that's going to be out this season? Or I mean, how do you identify which which clients get that that attention? Yeah, we really try to we, we send a monthly influencer box. And then, like I said, we're, we're running this like bodega. We're also doing like a series of events this year. We just did our first uh, B2B facing event. Um, even though Expo West is canceled, we, we kept our event um, at Expo West, which is on our Instagram. We did like a highlight video. So you should definitely check it out. It's really cute. Um, <laughs> and we invited a bunch of people to participate um, and, and have their own products because a lot of brands that we work with are small or emerging mid-level and they can't actually afford a booth at Expo West. And so we gave them the opportunity to come show off samples and we invited our community of investors, media, press, influencers in the LA area. And uh, we really just try to give everyone like the equal playing field. They're like, Hey, this is what we're doing. Do you want to participate? Um, and we do our job of bringing like the right people to these brands. Um, and it's a very like community centric thing um but we just try to balance it some brands you know want to participate every other month um and we really also at the same time try to pick products or work with products that convey what we're doing um if you have like a full-size jar of like eight ounce honey that kind of weighs around like let's say 10 ounces or something um you know we don't encourage you to be in our influencer box because it's really expensive to ship it we we pay the shipping on those influencer boxes you provide the product and so, you know, there are some guardrails around what we can do or not do. Um, but that's, you know, again, very specific in the weed details that we deal with with the brand. So. so talk a little bit about um, the person who comes and looks you guys up online and starts doing their shopping. Like, who's that targeted market? And, like, what's the extent of product that they can buy? You know, for the person out there who's never gone to your website yet, if they go there, what can they anticipate finding? Like, are they going to do all their groceries there? Are they going to be just snack foods? Is You know, what's what's kind of the target of when they come there? Yeah, so we launched our platform January 2019. So we're just over a year old now. Um, and we launched with about 90 products on our platform all shelf stable, very heavy in the snack category. And we also released uh, the first product in our private label called Hella. And we now have over a thousand shelf stable products shipping nationally. Um, all shelf stable, but we've expanded beyond snack. We now have pantry items, 
We're building on an entire vitamins and supplements category. So those are slowly, slowly going up right now. Um, we just also started uh, releasing baked goods. So we have paleo muffins and brownies and like awesome baked goods from across the country going up. Uh, and then what I kind of mentioned earlier was the future of bubble and where we're really going is full grocery. So um, in the next few weeks, we're actually, and this is the big news we, we announced at our party at Expo West last week. Um, and we'll slowly be hitting like mainstream media over the next few weeks as well. Um, so you guys are getting like the first tip off. Um, but we have an entire perishable vertical going live in a matter of weeks. And so perishable brands across the country are very much aware of this. Um, and I would say only those brands are. Um, but you can expect everything from organic meats, seafoods uh, that are sourced sustainably, um, boxes of produce from CSA farms across the country, um, dairy, non-dairy. Um, so we'll be in the full grocery category as a company within the next month or two um, that goes live. Um, and that's something we've been aggressively testing out for the past six or eight months with some select brands. And I would say what I really bring into this business as a platform is that like logistical kind of push for the platform um, to really offer this kind of new wave. And that's really where our fulfillment in the next few months also comes into play um, with overall volume. We'll be able to fulfill perishable and non-perishable um, for brands as well. So um, yeah, I mean, our, our, our target customer is looking for everything. Um, you know, we've only been able to offer, you know, some, some the, the shelf stable items, but we are going after the person who doesn't have access to a Whole Foods. Um, just for comparison, Whole Foods has about 500 locations nationally uh, compared to Walmart that has about 4,500 locations and can reach 90% of the U.S. domestic population. Um, and so, sorry, U.S. continental population. So um, when you look at just scale and reachability, Whole Foods as a footprint, which is like, I would say the most widely known um you know, healthy food right. uh, outlet doesn't have as big of a reach as most people think. And most people can't access, for example, Detroit just got their first Whole Foods. And that's a pretty major secondary city in the U.S. Right. So we're going after the person who actually doesn't have access to a Whole Foods and lives about two hours outside of a major city who's very well educated on these brands, probably gets targeted with them online, but doesn't make the leap to, to purchase because there's no brand affinity to those specific brands. And it's a lot of work for a customer to go enter their information with, you know, the cool new bread product that has a couple SKUs on their website. Again, because they've never tried it, they're not sure. And so with Bubble, we create the platform for you to, for the customer to have all their information, to try all these different brands. And then, you know, we're working on being in grocery and, you know, really capturing that lifetime value of the customer to keep shopping and making our service better so that these brands really see significant volume in this next year. So tell us a little bit about what you feel the most uh, valuable lessons you've learned as you've gone into your own entrepreneurial journey as an entrepreneur. And I know I'm, I'm changing the subject a little bit here, but I really want to dive into the things that you've learned. Um, we've talked about the things you learned to get here, but what are some of the lessons that you've had as an entrepreneur that you feel w would help some of the people or even some of the people that you do business with already that are food entrepreneurs? Um, I just lessons in, in general, or you mean 
sorry, could you repeat the question? Yeah, sure. I mean, like lessons that you feel would benefit another entrepreneur if they could hear them from you versus having to experience them themselves. What would those be? What have some of the hardships been that you've learned from? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the number one thing is nothing's ever perfect. I think whether I've experienced it myself or I've mentored other people, I advise at some food companies. I think the one thing is just to get an MVP out the door because a, even if you think something's perfect, it's not, you're going to have to redo it anyway or improve on that. (laughs) And so I think, um, getting something out the door and then keeping the ball moving pays off tenfold because you know, you're always going to be refining what you do. Um, and sometimes I always, like, I don't even take my own advice with that. <laughs> like perishable foods, for example, are like pretty much ready to go, but you know, I want things to be perfect. And it's like a huge movement for us to be in everyday grocery as bubbles. So, um, you know, I, it's, it's just sometimes our own fear keeps us kind of in the closet, you know, so to speak. So I, uh, yeah, I I would say that plus, uh, you know, just always working hard. I think there's a lot of fluff out there. Um, you know, I would say do your homework, definitely try to know everything and anything about your industry, look into and try to find people that have done it before always try to find a mentor if possible. It's a lot easier to reach out to people now than ever, you know, slide into someone's DM on LinkedIn or on Instagram and people will more likely than not want to talk to you and get involved with what you're doing. Um, I would say 70% of brands that are on bubble are brands that uh, because they're smaller or emerging, you know, these, these brands don't always check their own email because they're actually like, making the food while running their business still. And so when we do reach out, we actually partner with NYU food studies program and we've got interns in the office all the time and we call them our food scouts and they're reaching out to brands for us. We've kind of now have a system in place doing it ourselves for the past year that we can task this out um, and have a really smooth running machine with these um, food studies interns. They're doing a ton of reach out for us. So whether we're getting into CBD or now perishable, we've got these guys reaching out and um, you know, the actually most effective way has been Instagram DM with the brands because they're checking their Instagram more than their email. And so (laughs) um, I think just kind of being aware um, and, and really tuned into your industry has always paid off for me. And my team, you know, other people I work with, um, you know, tenfold. You know, it's interesting as you're talking about like the staying with it and working hard. And sometimes you just got to get stuff out the door and not worry about perfectionism because chances are you're going to learn along the way and have to redo some stuff anyway. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I think um, that combined with what you said at the beginning of the podcast about how, you know, you dropped out of school because you just felt like you're you needed to be on a different path. And um, I think the timing of all this is really um, important because I know I have, um, you know, a kid in college and colleges, all the schools are like closing down and stuff is happening. Right. So all of a sudden everyone's a little bit like, wait, what does this mean? And, you know, am I going to get credit for my classes? And, you know, just, there's a lot of unknown with education and stuff right now, but I think you're a really shining example of that. You got to follow your path and there is another path and not that college is a bad thing or anything like that, but, um, it's just, you got to keep putting one foot in front of the other and not everything's going to be perfect, but you do have to keep marching forward and work really hard. And I mean, I, I find it incredibly fascinating. I'm listening. I mean, there's so much 
in what you say, I have 50 million questions to every time you talk because there's so many components <laughs> to it. But I just think there's so many teachable things in there that are beneficial to anyone who's listening out there. I mean, I, I can't even say how much I'm hearing as you tell your story about how much you've learned along the way. And you've really made your, put yourself into a niche market where you have experience and exposure to all these different industries and all these different facets of business that now you have this whole way that you're like, oh my God, I can see this entire path to creating an industry that without having to have the bricks and mortar, that's going to service, you know, so many clients. And so I love your vision. I think it's amazing. And, um, I just, I'm really getting a kick out of hearing you talk about all this different stuff. Um, because to me, it's all kind of coming full circle. You know, we're listening to lots of colleges closing down and all this different stuff. And there's so many paths out there, especially in today's world with social media and whatnot. And so, um, you know, I a little bit wonder, you know, in, anyone who starts a business has always had the people in their lives who, as much as they all love us, they also are like, what are you doing? You know, like, why are you doing this? But not everyone understands when you're doing it that when you get a vision, you kind of got to run with it. And and so I love hearing that, you, you know, you're a year down the road on this particular part, but I'm sure quite a few years past your college degree. And it sounds like you have more you know, energy and tenacity and excitement for your future and all the things that you want to accomplish, um, than you've ever had. And it's so exciting. I love hearing your story. Yeah. I mean, it's really what I do now is a combination of my entire past. It was making food. It was going D to C and I saw a hole in the market for all of these other brands trying to go D to C making amazing products, but the right. model for an individual product doesn't make sense a model for a marketplace concept that's truly transparent that drop ships is that future. And I think we're seeing that, you know, unfortunately even more this week with people, you know, secluding themselves from coronavirus, right. grocery stores being emptied out. Um, and, you know, I think it's upsetting some people that have brick and mortars, obviously, but I think it just really resonates with the fact that you can be multi-channel and selling in 2020 and leaning into not just one channel, whether you're marketing yourself or selling yourself, it's important to be diverse. And so a lot of the brands that are on bubble, especially this week, have seen their numbers literally triple because our I business bet. has tripled this week, Right, I <laughs> um, bet. which is crazy. Like we literally shut off all advertising dollars because our numbers were flying because people are... They've heard about bubble, but especially this week, they're leading into and prioritizing health, number one, yep. and two, realizing that we have more products than ever. We've got a ton of pantry staples and things, and so those categories were just flying this week. So, um, yeah, I think it's putting everyone in check um, and at the same time kind of pushing people to, like, what is the future? People are realizing they don't need to necessarily work within a city. They're working remote in, in this week and next week, and um, you know, how do you service this modern economy that's either working from home or not in a city center? Um, and we're all kind of a part of that as well. Well, and I want to talk about this because it's an important point for the food entrepreneurs that are listening to the podcast or on the podcast or, you know, the listeners worldwide is with the, we'll just talk about it, the coronavirus, what's happening in the grocery stores and people are going online to order more is what we're seeing is an acceleration of what actually was going to happen anyway. And I'm not saying brick and mortars aren't important and people still don't want to go to stores and see things and touch things for their food. 
But what's happening is along the way, we're getting more confident in ordering online. Food doesn't have to be as expensive online. It doesn't have to be as hard to get, and you don't have to buy shelf space, right? We talked about it earlier on the podcast. So as a food entrepreneur, you know, you guys are spending a lot of time and energy trying to get shelf space in a grocery store, trying to get into your Walmarts or your Costco's. And what we're seeing, you know, even as a company on that side is a lot of our customers are doing better online. A lot of our co-packing companies and, and people we do business with. And so that fulfillment and direct to the consumer, it saves a lot in the logistical process. It saves a lot in extra money you have to pay to marketing. And you guys are doing that. So if you're out there, you know, bubble may not be your solution because you don't fit into the niche of healthy food or paleo or keto or whatever. But there's probably a company out there that's like them in your space that can help you build your brand versus spending all your time and energy going from grocery store to grocery store chain, trying to build a relationship with someone, hoping that you hit that, you know, windfall when the reality is, is there's major other outlets now that are combining people together like you guys are doing at bubblegoods.com to sort of brand accelerate people. And I think that that's important. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think every few years people kind of, you know, you look, you operate, I think if you're doing things smart, I, I saw a quote, I don't even know where it was from. I can't even quote who who said this or wrote this. Um, but it's sort of like uh, what we're going to see in business in over these next few weeks, Trevon's is sort of like the Darwinism of business. You know, if you are truly adaptable, you will survive this period. And so I think it's really paramount for everybody to kind of peek their heads up, see what's working for their business and not, and be nimble because, right, like, we all have hard costs, whether you have a retail location or an office space that everyone's working remote from, you know, you may need to downsize right now or figure out a different solution. Um, you know, move into a co-working space the next few months and be flexible. But if you could be truly adaptable and nimble right now, you know, you'll survive and, um, probably come out stronger on the other end. But, um, it is a really weird time and people are concerned, but, um, that quote really resonated me with about, um, what, what, you know, what's going on at this time. Yeah. So just as you know, before we wrap up, I just had, you know, one more question that I really wanted to ask you is, you know, one of these things that as, uh, companies want to go, let's say into national chains, grocery store chains and stuff, a lot of the times they have the issue of, do they have the capacity to build to that demand? And so I know that, you know, I'm wondering if when they come on with you and they go under your platform, do you have a criteria of like the volume they have to be able to produce that to meet demand? Because one of the things I think is super cool is that while they might not have that massive ability to go nationwide, they're still getting that nationwide visibility. And so how do you guys handle that? Yeah, I think that's one of the coolest factors of dropping your product on Bubble no, you're in control of the price. You're in control of how much inventory you do put up. So I think for a lot, we get that question a lot from brand new brands that are concerned about producing enough. Um, and what we always try to say is, hey, you can cap your inventory. So if you're worried about it, you know, because we, we do feature the brand when it comes live new on the platform. And that's one of the highest selling weeks for brands is when they're featured or, or new on the platform currently. And again, we're a year old. So we're also doing our best job in communicating all of this um, as our business changes every day. And so 
Um, you know, currently with what we see with brands, we really try to communicate now that we have some data under our belt around category specific things. It really depends on the product, the price point, the vertical. There's a lot of factors at work um, for that recommendation to kind of come through. But we really just try to communicate to brands, you know, what they can be prepared for. Um, and if they are worried about producing enough volume, we really encourage them to put a cap on that. Right. So if you can really only do and, you know, produce and ship out because maybe you're a small operation and you are also as an entrepreneur doing your own fulfillment, B2C, you can only do 50 a week, for example, then put that on, especially for launch week, put the cap on. And so what will happen then is your product will sell out. Um, you'll you'll be within uh, range. We also want to provide a great customer experience for all the customers who are driving on bubble. And so we really try to not have something sell out or or sell something that the the customer can't get for another two weeks so we really try to work with them to put a cap on the on the product whether it's 50 or 200 in that first batch for example um and then uh the product actually has an automatic automated wait list so for example hella our own in-house product that sold out um a couple months ago because it was on a few gift guides over the holiday season and it just like went viral we sold out of our own product and it's on a wait list um and so products that sell out we go on an automated wait list customers will then when the product's back in stock get an automated email that it's back in stock to shop it so um we really try to work with customers you know to see that feature through and then they can get up and selling again so we just really try to kind of mitigate that experience for brands and customers um, and kind of work with them there. So Jessica, one of the things that we're going to do that's a little bit different, cause I can already tell by the audience and the questions I already get when people come on an interview on the podcast is I'd like to schedule a part two, maybe in a few weeks. Um, you can get on the calendar and book one. And that's true for any food entrepreneurs and beverage entrepreneurs listening in. You can go to our Instagram and click on the link and, and book an appointment to do an interview. But since we're an open platform, but one of the things I want to do is I want to sort of give the audience time because they're going to have a lot of questions. Obviously, I encourage them to reach out to you directly, but it would be kind of fun because I know I'm going to get questions to receive all those questions and do a part two um, as we discussed before we started recording. So that's number one. Um, I'd love to get that done and let the audience know we're going to do that if that's okay with you. Yeah, sounds great. And then my final thing as we wrap up, um, is there anything that you want to tell the audience or that you feel is important um, that you want to pass on before we close up today? Yeah, I mean, I would obviously, I'm going to plug Bubble to, to consider Bubble as a selling channel for your product. Um, and if it's not something that fits in our guidelines, I think you should really strongly um, consider you know, what is in your in your product because we do believe that we are pushing the future of food um, and that the products that we get behind and support on our platform are who are going to be the, the new guard of, of products and um, household items. And that's really where the entire food industry is going is, you know, having products that are clean label, don't contain refined sugars, artificial sweeteners, dyes, gums, preservatives. So, um, you know, I would say those two things like consider us, but also consider, you know, if you aren't a fit, why you aren't. Um, and that's maybe something you should be looking at now. Um, and yeah, I mean, stay tuned for all the releases we have this year, especially around perishable, which is our biggest, biggest move so far, I think to date, um, because we, we will be kind of shifting that food landscape. You will be able as a customer or brand with a lot of 
our own customers are the other brands, which is great, um, that shop because they really want to just support what's going on here. Um, you know, uh, so stay tuned for, for that as well on the purchasing end, which is exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for that, Jessica. And thank you for coming on. And one of the takeaways I really want everyone to think about that we just heard was that it may be time to pivot your brands. You may have had your brands and you may have, you're having some success, but it's time to look at what happens when you clean up your label or you get rid of the artificial preservatives or you lessen the amount of sugar in it. And even if you're not going a keto or a paleo, what is it in your product? Because we are going healthier and we are on this trend where human beings are becoming more knowledgeable in it and what's going in their food and they're learning to read labels and what did those mean? And if I can't pronounce something on the back of a label, well, why am I buying this? Cause I don't even know what it is. So, you know, I think that's important. Exactly what you said. The second part is that I want to go back and talk about the takeaway is what you said is this is the future of the way a grocery store is going to be, you know, there, there's less emphasis on people's comfortability of having to go into the store and buy their products they want to be able to get them at home. You know, Amazon has sent a trend on on delivering stuff to your door, Zappos, companies like that. But we're starting to see it with food. I mean, even Amazon sees it by buying whole food, whole foods. But the difference is, is you're building it with the right kind of brands with a level of standards that is important. You're not just putting everything out there. So I think that that's pretty cool. So Jessica, what you're doing, I wish you luck. And I look forward to talking to you in a couple of weeks again. Um, and yeah, thank you very I much. Appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, just for context too, for the audience to really understand that last point, which I think you're recognizing and seeing as well is, you know, we look at this stuff every day and, and the market that we're in, um, and how to keep up and really stay relevant. But just for context, you know, the numbers of people accepting online grocery and food have completely changed in the past two years alone. Um, for example, and j- again, just because this is our business, we know all the stats from 2016 to 2018, the online grocery space doubled, which has never happened in history, um, even with the meal kits and everything going on. Um, and so just the sheer market alone um, has shifted and it's growing 40 percent year over year from this point forward. So it is definitely the fastest growing channel in all of grocery Um, And we're lucky enough to be a part of that, but it is not going away. It's only getting bigger. Well, and not to mention, I get to now shop for the things that I like and the brands that I like. I mean, even at your store, there's diversity in products. So I'm not stuck with just what the grocery store has anymore. I can go online and find products I like. I don't just have to buy Folgers coffee, for example, or Campbell's soup. You know, I have options to really go after what I want to do with my health, go after what I like in terms of my palate, you know, things like that, that I think is so enormous and it's empowering people to be and live the lifestyle that they want to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, exactly. Thank you everyone for listening in. I appreciate it. And you can find Jess online. Will you give everyone your, your website and your Instagram uh, again, really quickly? Yeah, uh, we're at Bubble Goods or BubbleGoods.com. My personal is at Jess Young Food. If you have any like specific entrepreneurial questions, happy to, to answer those on DM as much as I can. And uh, yeah, our LinkedIn on Bubble has a ton of great resources as well as that 
vendor education tab on our footer um, that I kind of mentioned has that resource guide and things that is super helpful um, for you to check out too in terms of, um, you know, resources for your company. Awesome. Everyone, again, please check out the free tickets on Eventbrite for the Food and Beverage Entrepreneur Summit. Um, Take a look at that. Again, that's June 3rd and 4th in Milledgeville, Georgia. And if the event doesn't happen, any registered guests, we will be streaming it live on YouTube and Facebook. Thank you, everyone, for listening in.